I just want to talk with you a little bit this morning. Not so much preach at, preach with, talk with, share with. Last Sunday we talked about vital signs and how there are those indicators uh, that kind of give us a clue as to the quality of life. Uh, I reminded again of it as we were in the hospital visiting with Marie and started hearing the beeping noise. And she said, oh, don't worry about that. They turned mine off. It must be coming from down the hall. (laughs) Oxygen level. Again, she had oxygen on her face and the first day and the nurse came in and looked and she said, do you normally wear oxygen at home? And she said, no. Well, yesterday when we were there, she didn't have it on. The doctor said, why do you have that oxygen on? Her oxygen hasn't been an issue, a problem. But those indicators, it gives us an indication of, of how vital the life is, how strong. And the same thing applies to our spiritual lives. It's not just about, I feel like everything's okay. There are indicators that we can use to examine ourselves, to reflect upon, to say, how well am I doing spiritually? For instance, we talked about unhindered prayers. Our text last Sunday began with the idea of of being self-controlled, being sober-minded, and there was a reason why we needed to do those things. So we could be unhindered in our prayers. And people say, well, you know, I I just don't feel like God answers my prayers. Well, let me suggest two things to you. One is keep a journal. Keep a journal of different things that you are reflecting on and praying for and asking for. And then every once in a while, go back through that journal and you'll find out he did answer prayers. But secondly, maybe the problem isn't that God isn't hearing you. Maybe the problem is is that you have not gotten yourself adequately prepared. The story of the, the sower and the seed. The sower is the same throughout that parable. The seed is the same throughout that parable. What's the difference? How well the soil has been prepared. If it's hard or weedy, or whether or not it is ready to receive the Word. And that's us. We're the dirt in that parable. And we've got to make sure that we have prepared ourselves. Have you prepared yourself? Guys, in terms of your relationship with your wives, very clearly we saw in Peter that he said, you know, make sure that you're treating your wife with honor so that your prayers won't be be hindered. Secondly, the issue of love. Are we showing brotherly love and doing it in an earnest way? The third we talked about was hospitality. Say, well, yeah, I made a dish for that meal. Took me three hours. 
Well, you haven't done it without grumbling already. And service. And I think Peter very clearly talks about two areas for an important reason. Our speech and our actions. Our words and our deeds. He doesn't go into any kind of a list. He doesn't need to because he started by saying, in the way that God has gifted you. Some of you have gifts that I do not have. And I have some gifts that some of you don't have. But that's why we need to be using our gifts for each other, for the common good, to help one another out. I can hammer a nail. I do much better tearing stuff out than I do putting it back together. Mark and Jean saw the evidence of that. I don't mind doing grunt work, getting my hands dirty. In fact, sometimes that's the way I relax. But the gifts that you have, that I don't have, all of that is so that when we bring all of that together, we're solid. We're solid. I've called Mark and asked Mark a question about something to do with automobiles and mechanics. I have called others here in town and said, well, just recently I called Denny Bauer. And I said, Denny, there's some water coming down a specific area in the house when there's moisture. Could it be around that pipe that goes up? It's not a water line, I'm convinced of that, because the pipes at the bottom are more like sewage. I think it's a sewage vent going all the way through. And Denny said, you're probably right, but I'll come by and look at it. He came by and looked at it, said it was a vent. A vent. I was right. But I guarantee you, I wouldn't have wanted to have banked on that from the beginning. We each have talents and gifts in different areas. Eric and I have called Rich and talked to Rich, or we've seen him and said, hey, here's what's going on with our car in terms of some rust. What ideas can you give us? Because Rich works at a body shop. He has that knowledge. We don't. And that's why these different areas can tell us, if we would stop and reflect, they can tell us how we are doing spiritually. Are we growing or are we dying? My wife came into my office this morning and she looked over and she said, I can't believe how well that plant is doing. And within a few days, Kay's going to be able to come into my office and say, I can't believe how well that plant's doing because I took one of hers into my little plant hospital. We've got to be working together, helping one another out. And as I was looking at the verses that we're going to share this morning as our text, the last verses of chapter 4 of 1 Peter, I was reminded of the words of Jesus. In chapter 5 of Matthew, Jesus said, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely. That's an important word in this sentence. You're blessed when they do all of that falsely on my account. 
Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Did you notice that Jesus said, When? Blessed are you when? Not if. But when? Persecution, as we have said, is inevitable. Peter is writing to Christians who had been dispersed because of persecution and he's saying to them, it's going to happen some more. You've got to be ready for it. And he knows, even from his own experience, he knows that the perspective that they adopt and the attitude that they display will be a sign to the people that are watching them as to the difference that knowing Jesus' life can make in a person's life. So today our focus is going to be on sharing in Christ's suffering. And our text comes from 1 Peter 4, 12-19. This title for the sermon is not unique. It's right out of our text today. So look for it as we read. So let's go to God's Word. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If you're insulted for the name of Christ... You're blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will become of the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. May God add his blessing to our reading of his word. Notice again verse 13. But rejoice. Rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. Peter wants us to know that suffering for Christ is an occasion for rejoicing. And how we as believers respond to suffering is an indication, listen to me, how we respond to suffering is an indication of whether we are in fact truly one of God's children, whether we truly belong to Him. For example, I will go there yet. For example, in Acts, uh, on Wednesday night, Bible study. We're going through the book of Acts. We meet every Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. And a few weeks ago, uh, 
I think we're up to chapter 9 now, but a few weeks ago we were looking at chapter 4 and chapter 5. And and, uh, chapter 3 actually begins the account of how Peter and John heal a crippled man. And because of the healing, there's a lot of commotion and and all of a sudden they find themselves before the authorities and they even ask, "Are, are we here because we healed a crippled person? Well, they found out that they were common men. In other words, they hadn't had any formal training. And so in the legal system of that day, what they had done, the only thing the the leaders could do at that point was warn them. And so they did that. They warned them and they put them back out. But you know what Peter and John did? They went right back to where they were at in the temple, once again preaching and sharing the message of the good news. And once again, they get arrested. But this time when they are brought in, they've already been warned. And so since they've already been warned, they wanted to do more, but a very wise man by the name of Gamaliel said, you know, you better not do more because if this is from God, there's nothing you can do to stop it. And if it's not from God, it'll go away on its own. But the people are really behind these guys. And so that time they didn't put them to death as they wanted to do, but they did in fact beat them and again told them not to go out preaching the good news. So in Acts chapter 5, here's what we find. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus. And they let them go. Verse 41, then they left the presence of the council. You know what they were doing? They left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day, where? (laughs) Again, right back where they had gotten arrested twice. Every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. They had been persecuted. They had suffered physically. But they weren't going to allow them, the authorities, to stop them from preaching and doing the good things. And they considered it something that was... They were, they were, they were rejoicing that they had been counted worthy to be beaten. Now in our text today that we read in 1 Peter 4, the specific nature of what they were facing is not stated by Peter. But we do know that Peter tells us why. It's because of what they were doing good. And also, what we see in this is that the pattern of our trials may vary. There are cycles. There will be times in which persecution will rise up and be severe and then it will go away. Then it will rise up again for a while and be severe and then go away. And there are also waves. Not only does it come and go, it will get really hard. There will be times when there is still persecution going on, but it will be a different type. But what we need to keep in mind is that Peter begins by reminding us that painful trials are not abnormal. Oh, 
I can't believe that I'm going through this again. It hurts so bad. It's normal. It's normal. Peter says, don't be surprised at the fiery trial. Now many of you I know are looking at the New International Version. And the New International Version says, don't be surprised at the painful trial. Well, the Greek word there is actually the word purosis. You can hear in that, purosis, purify. It has to do with the process of burning something to purify it. The testing of it. The refining of it. And the pain at times is going to be intense. As those fires burn away some of the dross that we've allowed to build up in our lives. And we might want to cry out in pain. Now I think there's something else going on as well. But in pain on the cross, didn't Jesus cry out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? But God hadn't forsaken him. And he doesn't forsake us. Part of the problem is in our perspective. I uh, have a friend that I've met over just the last few years, a really great guy, and he has a blog on on uh, the internet otherwise. And, and uh, he interviewed uh, somebody who wrote a book, and the book is entitled Comfort Detox. Finding freedom from habits that bind you. I uh, ordered the book, dear. And it's supposed to be in. But I'm looking forward to reading it. Because as the conversation went along between them, one of the things that was pointed out is that we are addicted to comfort. We try to do everything we can to avoid comfort, to avoid pain. And sometimes the best thing for us is pain. In fact, do you know what the number one problem that's associated with leprosy is? The lack of pain. They lose parts of their body because they don't feel pain. And so they'll reach into a fire or close to a fire not realizing that their their hand is literally burning. They'll break a foot and keep walking because they're not feeling the pain and they'll end up losing the ankle and the foot. Some of that pain that we go through is necessary. And yet we are so, we're so, how do I want to say it? We have bought into so much that name it and claim it and and God will just make everything right for us. God didn't promise us any rose garden. What He promised us was that He would go through the pain with us. Listen again to the words of Jesus. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. And He said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. In other words, it's not something that's going to kill us. 
You can't take up something the next day that killed you the day before. Take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a person if they gain the whole world and lose or forfeit themselves? Painful trials are inevitable. They're not abnormal. But listen, secondly, our perspective as to God's purpose will shape the pattern of our reactions. Look at how Peter indicates that we should react. Verse 13, we're to rejoice. Verse 16, we're not to be ashamed. Not of the persecution we're experiencing, nor of the one that we're experiencing it for. We're not to be ashamed. Verse 14, backing up. We should in fact praise God that we can be insulted for bearing the name of Christ. And then the passage ends. Verse 19. We should commit ourselves in the NIV or entrust ourselves, our souls to God. That word kind of caught my attention. Entrust, commit. I don't use the word entrust every day in my regular speech. And so I went back and I looked it up. And what it means is to give to someone for safekeeping. So then I looked and I saw, well, how is this word used at other places in the Scriptures? Two very key places that it's used. One is when Jesus is doing the feeding and He breaks the bread and He breaks the fish and He gives it to His disciples to give to the people. That's where the word is used one of the time. He entrusts that bread and that fish to the disciples to know that they'll take care of it properly. And the other place that the word is used is in fact when Jesus is on the cross and He says, Father, into Your hands I entrust or I commit My Spirit. Same word. We're to commit ourselves. We're to trust God that no matter how bad the person get, persecution gets, no matter how severe or how long, God is going to see us through it. I can't imagine. I can't imagine what, I can't think of his last name now, but if you know it, popcorn it out. His first name was Horatio. But Horatio was a songwriter or he at least wrote a song and he wrote the song right over the spot in the ocean where the ship that was carrying his wife and children had gone down and his wife had survived but one of his children hadn't and you know what song he wrote? It is well with my soul It is well with my soul wrote it right there at the spot where he had lost that child. The captain of the ship made sure that he pointed out to him we're going through that area. He had already lost everything in the great Chicago fire. 
He was in a time of rebuilding. That's why he had sent his wife and kids to Europe to be with family. And yet he could write, he had that perspective that he could write that even in this tough time, I am trusting you, God. It's well with my soul. But then notice again how the passage ends. Even when we're having experiences of persecution, and even though we are struggling, he says that we are, while we entrust our soul to God, we are to continue doing good. While doing good. But did you notice also, verse 15, there is some suffering that we should try to avoid. Don't suffer, he says, as a murderer. And we say, yeah, right on. Or as a thief. And we say, yeah, right on. Tell him, Peter. Or as a criminal evildoer. That's what that evildoer word means. And we say, yeah, right on, Peter. And then he says, or as a meddler. And we say, now, wait a minute, Peter. Now you might be meddling. Because that one kind of is an ouch one. You see, the blatant sins, we can accept those easily because we, we know those are listed for rhetorical reasons. Of course, we don't want to suffer for those things. They make it clear what genuine Christianity is all about. But a meddler, mischief maker... Do you know what a meddler is by definition? It's somebody who slanders people, talks evil about them, who defrauds other people by our words. Remember what James says about the tongue? It might be little, but it is something that can set a forest on fire. This week I was reviewing some of this and a song came to my mind and I am going to tell you right now I cannot get that song out of my mind. Every time there's a lull, I think about it again. Some of you that are my age will remember the song very clearly. She only had a few hits. It was a song that a young lady by the name of Janice Ian wrote and sang. And the song was titled, At 17. At 17, I learned the truth that life was meant for beauty queens. And there's a part in there that talks about, and those of us with ravaged faces, lacking in the social graces, desperately remain alone. Inventing lovers on the phone who call and say, come dance with me. It talks about those who didn't get valentines. And those who didn't get chosen for basketball. It's talking about the people that some of us have had a tendency to push away and marginalize. 
He sat right back there. And when the offering plate was passed, I, I don't remember who it was that Sunday who had the offering plate, but when the offering plate was passed, he reached in his pocket and he pulled out the only thing that he had that he felt was of value. It's right back here on my bookshelf as a reminder. Two hockey pucks. The police checked him out because he was sleeping in his car. He wasn't wanted anywhere. There were no warrants or anything. He was someone passing through the community. Offered to help, offered to work at different places. Eventually left town. Spent a couple days in Kentland that I know of. I heard several people make statements about him that absolutely were not true. That, my friends, is what Peter is talking about when he says being meddlers. So let's bring this to a conclusion. Because careless words can really hurt people. In fact, do you know that careless words were a prime contributor to the, to the death of Karen Carpenter? You remember the Carpenters? Beautiful music. Karen Carpenter was walking up and her brother Richard was talking to a reporter. <laughs> And he had his back to where she was approaching from. And as he approached, he jokingly said to Richard, By the way, where's that chubby little sister of yours? And Karen Carpenter died of issues related to uh, anorexia nervosa. She struggled the rest of her life with feelings that she was never thin enough because of reckless words. There's a big old man by the name of Jim McCown who used to preach down in the Lafayette area. Before that, he was in California. Before that, he had been in Indianapolis. Big guy. Jim McCown was holding a revival meeting and he was holding it uh, with a, a speaker out of the Terre Haute area who was one of those flamboyant, nice dressers, everything always matched. Somebody who lived to be very old and continued to minister, did an excellent job. But one of the ladies, as she was coming out of the church that Sunday, Jim said to her, didn't you appreciate the words of the our, our speaker tonight and she said well I might have enjoyed him better if he hadn't had such a bright tie on and Jim said I shouldn't have done it 
But that church was one of those that the offices were on both sides of the doorway coming in, common construction back then. He turned around back into his office, got a pair of scissors, came out, handed them to the lady, and said, if it offends you that much, I'm sure that Ben would not... Ben Merrill. If you see him, ask him. said, I am sure Ben would not bother... Not be upset if you cut that tie off. And she took those scissors, reached up, and cut Ben's tie off. My dad was there. He was doing the music. He said Jim McCowan took the scissors back from her. And he said, now would you do me a favor... There's been nothing more offensive since I've been here at this church than your tongue. Would you stick it out? And she huffed and puffed and went out the door and he said, I was sure I was going to get fired. But do you know what happened? As she started calling around to some of her friends asking for support, they didn't support her. They said, you know what? You're right. Your tongue has done a lot of damage. Amen. And after about two months and conviction, she humbly came back into the church a changed woman. Go back in the Old Testament to Ezekiel chapters 8 and 9. In chapter 8, there are all kinds of abominations going on and going on right in the temple. And Ezekiel has a vision from God. And the vision says to Ezekiel, it's time to clean things up. And it needs to begin right here in the temple. And I think that's what Peter is thinking about when he closes this section of Scripture for us. And the question that should guide our prayers and guide our mission is whether or not we are correctly grieving and lamenting over the detestable things that have taken place and have continued to take place and need to stop. Judgment needs to begin right here in the sanctuary. Malachi chapter 3, where the Lord comes... But He comes to His temple to purify His people. We're not going to change the world around us if we don't change ourselves first. And that's why He quotes Proverbs chapter 11.31 that says, If the righteous is scarcely saved, what about the ungodly? If we haven't cleaned up our act, what about all these around us? Where's our heart? Let's pray.